Welcome to Covenant's Pulpit Ministry. Covenant Evangelical Free Church believes that the Bible is the Word of God and that God's Word is vital for life-transforming Christianity. We trust that you will grow to know the Word of God and more importantly, the God of the Word as you hear this message today. May God bless you as you open your heart to His Word. Now we've been going through the book of Daniel, um, and uh, it is something that we're journeying in this year. As we go through the book of Daniel, there's a big idea that wraps itself around the whole of the book of Daniel. It is a reoccurring theme, which is God is in control. He is a sovereign God working behind the curtain. But as we look back at chapters 1 and 2, it begins with things looking out of control. In chapter 1, for example, Israel lost everything. But as the story continues in chapter 1, we see the sovereign covenant God at work. As Israel lost something, God gave the gift of wisdom to Daniel and his three friends. At the beginning of chapter 1, we read that Israel lost their king. But because God gave that gift of wisdom to Daniel, he would raise him up. And he would enter the royal service of King Nebuchadnezzar. In chapter 2, we read that things are spiraling out of control as King Nebuchadnezzar is spiraling downwards in his emotions. Why? Because he had a disturbing dream. And in that dream, he was frustrated. No one could tell him what the dream was. When he gathered all his wise men, he thought they were useless. And he condemned all the wise men in Babylon to death, which included Daniel and his three friends. But see, in God's sovereignty, he gave Daniel the gift of interpreting dreams. And through that, Daniel will become a leader over the wise men and a leader in the province of Babylon. This is a God-fearing Jewish man who would become the leader of wise men who worship pagan gods to advise them how to advise the king. You know, God will bring his godly wisdom into that conversation. As we hit chapter 3, we read things are out of control again. The whole of Babylon, all the peoples of Babylon, are called upon by King Nebuchadnezzar to bow before a statue which he had set up. Here we see a power-hungry King Nebuchadnezzar erects this statue, wielding his power, that statue a symbol of his power. He said that if anyone does not bow down to the statue, you'll be burnt to death in the fiery furnace. Oh, it set so much fear in the people. It's interesting, if you look in your Bible there, Daniel chapter 3, verses 2 and 3, there's a list of a whole bunch of men who were the leaders, the powerful leaders of Babylon. Why mention that? Because it shows that King Nebuchadnezzar had power over not just the average people of Babylon, but even the most powerful people of Babylon. He was the powerful of the powerful. But there were three men, Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they refused to bow because they wanted to obey their God. For their God had commanded them, you shall have no other God. There's only one God. And you shall only bow to Him. And so, 
whatever King Nebuchadnezzar had set up for people to bow down, these three men stood their ground resolutely, saying, we will only obey our God. And as the story unfolds, King Nebuchadnezzar became angry. He powered up. He lost face, and he threatened them to death. He said to them, if you don't bow down, I will throw you into the fiery furnace. To which these three men replied, my God will deliver us. He will take us out of your hand and into the hands of our almighty God, who we choose to obey. As the story unfolds, we see how God will deliver and the ultimate power on display. You see, in this story, we see that for Daniel and his three friends, their obedience to God will be tried, tested, and shown to be true. What about you in your life? In the fire, when your obedience is tested, would you stand resolute in God? For that's exactly what these three men had chosen. That in the fire, when their obedience was tested, they remained resolute in God. If you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to open up to Daniel chapter 3. You can follow along. And it starts off in verse 19 there that Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury. In the original language, the word fury is the word hema. It means a fever pitch, hot, boiling anger. Really angry. It's like a poisonous arrow piercing the heart and you develop a really hot fever. That was the temperature of his anger. When he said to the men, I want you to light up the furnace seven times hotter than usual. It was a reflection of that hot anger inside King Nebuchadnezzar, wanting and desiring to wield his power, saying to these three men, how dare you come against my power? I will overpower you with these flames. Then he orders his soldiers, not your average soldier, not your weakest soldier, but your strongest one. He was a show of force. He was to threaten them, intimidate them, tie them up, bound them. They have no way of escaping. Now I want you to think along with me. When you tie someone up, tie them on the ground. They didn't enter the furnace like this. Right? They didn't push them in. They threw them in. They would have to pick them up by the arms and by the legs, come to the furnace and throw Throw them in like garbage. Can you imagine the things said at that time? When all the people gathered around to watch his execution, they didn't stand there silently, I think. I reckon they would have ridiculed the people. They would have shamed the people. They would have said, Ha! You think your God can deliver you? Let's see if he can come right now and deliver you. You're all bound by the power of King Nebuchadnezzar. So when the soldiers carried the three men and threw them into the furnace, it is said that the flames were so hot, the heat that came out of there consumed the soldiers, and the soldiers were killed. And there lay Shedrick, 
Meshach and Abednego in that fiery furnace, helpless. The fear and the heat. But all of a sudden, for King Nebuchadnezzar, his anger moved to astonishment. He looked inside the furnace and he saw, hang on a minute, he looked at one of his advisors, didn't we throw three guys inside the furnace? They all said, yes. Then why is it that I see four? It's impossible. The fourth one looks like the son of a god. Jaw-dropping as it was, the king would then announce, come out! What were the words that King Nebuchadnezzar used? He says, Shedrick, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the, if you look in your Bible there, Most High God, the God of all the gods. Your God is the most powerful. Come out and come here. You see, in the fire, the three men had indeed not bowed to any pressure, did not bow to fear, but they bowed to the God whom they loved. They were resolute in the Lord. See, before they were fired, important to hear the words that they used. See, the king said to them, now I'm going to give you a chance. You can bow to this statue that I set up and it will all be forgotten. But if you don't, I'm going to throw you into the fiery furnace and hear the reply of these three men. It says, but if not, it be known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. The word served there in the original language, palak, means to pay reverence. In other words, they will not bow to your God. They will bow in reverent fear to the God whom they worship. And they shall express that reverence by obeying God. At the end of this entire story, when the three men came out of the furnace, this is what King Nebuchadnezzar said. God's servants, which says Meshach, Shedrach, and Abednego, they trusted in their God, they set aside the king's command, and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any God except their own. In the original language there, the word for set aside is Shena, which means defied. In other words, it said that the three men had faith in their God. They even defied the king's command. No matter how powerful he was, they would defy him because they would submit their lives not to King Nebuchadnezzar, but to the God whom they worshipped. They submitted to the God Yahweh and obeyed him, even if it meant their own lives would be taken, consumed by fire. They were resolved to obey. Let's take a little step back and look at what were three groups of people's resolve in this story. Number one, we see King Nebuchadnezzar's resolve. He says, 
I set up this statue and you bow down. His resolve was to assert power. And he did that by instilling fear in the people for his motivation was pride. Look what I've done. I am the king. I defeated Israel. I built this powerful empire called Babylon. I command the soldiers. I build this statue. When the music plays, you bow down as I command. And if you don't obey, I will put you into the fiery furnace. I am in charge. And when the three men stood up against him, his response was anger because it wounded his pride. What about the people of Babylon and the powerful people of Babylon? What was their resolve? Oh, we will bow down and worship. Their resolve was to bow the pressure. Why? Out of fear. Because if I don't, I will be put to the fire and die. I don't want that. So therefore, I will blindly worship like everyone else. But what was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's resolve? We won't serve your gods. We will obey our God. And their motivation was reverence or holy fear. And their response was to trust and obey. What about you? When your obedience to God is tested, what is your resolve? Is it to assert power motivated by your pride? Is it to bow the pressure motivated by fear? Or is it to obey God motivated by holy fear? When your obedience to God is tested, what is your resolve? Is it to assert your power motivated by your pride, bow to pressure motivated by fear, or obey God motivated by holy fear? There are times in my life when my obedience is tested. As I'm sure it is with Many of us here. What is your resolve? What is my resolve? I remember a time back in probably about 2009. At that time, I was studying at Singapore Bible College. I have already been in ministry as a ministry staff for seven years. So when I entered Singapore Bible College, I went there as a full-time student as well as a full-time church worker. It was, in one word, very stressful. Right? Now, during my time... Uh, in class one day, I received an SMS. It was from a church member. Her baby boy was dying in hospital. He had renal failure. It was terrible. And requested that some of us go to the hospital to pray and conduct communion for them as a family because this child was going to pass. So Pastor William went there earlier to the hospital. And at that time, I drove. I had a car. And so I don't have a car now, but in those days I had a car. And so I picked up my wife. We went to the hospital. The hospital was Mount Avernia Hospital. And if you're familiar with that hospital back in the early 2000s, the car park there was very congested. It had very limited lots. So when we got there, we waited in that car park for 45 minutes in our car, waiting for a lot. By the 45th minute, another car appears and parks right in front of us. And within a one minute later, one car park lot was made available for us. But that guy that just arrived one minute earlier conveniently parked inside. There's a good reaction there, Nina. Like, <laughs> so I, of course, jaw dropped. I was like, what's going on here? So I reversed my car backwards, and I went down my window and said, excuse me, um, uh, we waited a really long time for this lot. Do you mind 
that I, you know, you give me this lot. This guy stepped out of his car and says that I was closer. I said, I'm closer. You're closer. I don't care if you're closer. I've been here longer. And at that point of time, I was fuming mad. My wife was sitting next to me. She can tell because obviously my face became distorted, you know, like King Nebuchadnezzar, you know, angry, right? That boiling hot anger, you know, you should go into the furnace, that kind of anger. And I remember she put her hand on, on my hand, which is on the gear stick. And she said, calm down, calm down, be cool. And at that moment, right, time slows down. You know what I mean? Like everything slows down. And in that two seconds, I heard the Lord say, submit to my will. You know what's my response to that? No! I'm not going to submit to your will. I powered up. I got out of the car. I confronted this man. I shook my fist at him. And I said, hang on a minute. I was here for a really long time. He said, oh, I don't care. I, don't know. I can't remember what the words were exchanging. But I noticed that the, his daughter was in the car in the back seat. She looked really frightened, about nine years old. And I looked at this man and said, you should be ashamed of yourself. And your daughter's in the back seat. She's probably ashamed of you as well. Ooh. What did this guy do? He got into his car. He was angry. He reversed out. I got a lot. I walked to the hospital. We ministered to this family. The baby was dying. Did all this so-called holy reverend stuff and then got back to my car. And all this guilt came washing over me. And I asked myself the question, where is this man? I need to apologize to him. I never saw him again. But if you happen to be that man sitting here today, <laughs> please come to the front. I really need to ask for your forgiveness. I ask myself the question, where does that all come from? Pride. Just that year, Pastor Ed um, closed down all the CGs in our church and we went through this thing called Intentional Disciple Making Training or IDT. And we were the first batch, a thousand people. And in that batch, he taught us something called the point of departure. The point of departure is at a place in time where we depart from God's will. Now in this story here, it's very obvious. I departed from his will when I heard my wife say, calm down. And when I heard the Spirit of God say, Submit to my will. I didn't submit to his will. That's the point of departure. But the point of departure can also be a point of time back in history where you departed or I departed from God's will. And so I have to ask myself the question, where did all that anger come from where it's a point of departure? And one of the things what we did was we drew a timeline and I traced back to when I was younger. You see, I used to play a lot of sport from Australia. So Australia is just famous for sport. Lah. When it comes to study, don't have lah, huh? okay? we don't, it's not a big value of ours like here. So we're sports mad. And one of the sports I used to play was Australian rules football. And in that game, you are allowed to whack people for no reason at all kind of thing. Lah. And this is back in the 1980s, obviously. So my strength in playing football is not my big size. Huh? I'm very small, very scrawny, but I can run real fast. So when my coach told me, I want you to whack that guy for us, 
I will whack him on the head and run really fast. That was my, that was my strength. I brought that to the game. I did it for the team. I'm a team player. And I hate to lose. So I'll do anything to win, including hit people, pinch people, you know, pull their ear, you know, that kind of thing. Didn't really play the sport. Just whack people. I realize that spirit, that competitive spirit, brings out the worst in me, my point of departure. That's why when this man got out of his car and said that I was closer, I want that lot. I'm competing for that lot. And you power up, oh, you will see the devil inside of me come out. The point of departure. What should we do, therefore, at the point of departure? Is repent. The power of repentance. God redeeming our time, redeeming our lives. And during that IDT, this story came to my mind. I said, Lord, you've got to help me. I am still work in progress. I am still having to revisit the points of departure in my life. But in those times, the Lord grows me. Because in the fire, when my obedience is tested, I must remain resolute in God. In the fire, when your obedience is tested, remain resolute in God, for God is with us. God is with us. In Daniel chapter 3, verse 15, we just go back a little bit there, and remember that in this period of time, these three men have been summoned to see the king. And he challenges them to bow before this statue he had set up, or this will happen to you. If you do not worship, you will immediately be cast into a burning fury furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Now, in the original language there, the word hands is the word yad. And it's a figurative meaning for power. So if we were to rewrite this in its essence, the question would be, and who is the God who will deliver you out from the clutches of my powerful hand? To which the three men replied, if this is so, our God whom we serve, who we bow in reverent fear and worship and desire to obey, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and He will deliver us out from your powerful hand into His hand. For our God is with us. So when they were all tied up and bound and humiliated and thrown into the furnace, this is what a furnace looks like. It's not like a well you throw them in. It's a furnace with, a, with an opening there. That's why they could see what was going on inside there. And when they looked in, when the king looked in, they saw four men. One, which was a divine being, was God. Now, question. When they were burnt, right, in that fire, one thing burnt, the ropes that bound them. Now they can walk around freely. Question, if you're in a fire, right, what would you do? Me? I'd get out. 
No, you don't want to stay there, right? I mean, we wouldn't do that for. So why did these three men stay inside the furnace? Because they were caught in worshipping God. Can you imagine if Jesus walked in right now? Walked in down the aisle? What would you do? Maybe some of us here, run. Oh, he's here. Watch out. I better get out of here, right? Some of us, what we might do is, hey, Jesus, come on, man. Selfie time, right? But my guess, all of us, all of us will fall flat on our face and worship him. Even a non-Christian will be overwhelmed by the holy presence of God. Boom! On the ground, worshipping God. They were worshipping the Lord. He was with them. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who we bow with reverence, awe in, and worship and obey. He is with us in the fire. And so what did... King Nebuchadnezzar say when he ordered them out, servants of the Most High God. And when they came out, what happened? Isn't it interesting at the beginning of chapter 3, verse 2 and 3, we see a list of all these powerful men being called forth to bow before the statue. Now again, this long list of powerful men come, but what are they doing? They're in absolute awe of what this God has done. As they look at these men, they see that the fire had not any power, did not dominate them. King Nebuchadnezzar's power did not overpower them. Their clothes were not singed. And the amazing thing, they didn't even smell of smoke. How is that even possible? Because the Most High God was with them. That's why King Nebuchadnezzar could declare, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has set his angel and delivered his servants. It reminds us of Isaiah 43, where it says, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by my name. You are mine, says the Lord. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. Things seemed out of control when people were called to bow before the statue. Their lives were threatened by a powerful, wielding king. But when things seemed out of control, it's actually the sovereign God in complete control working behind the curtains. It says, worship the gods. But at the end of the story, they're in awe of the Most High God. The three men were sentenced to death. But at the end, we see the mighty hand of God who delivered them. They were called to bow to the statue or die by King Nebuchadnezzar. But at the end of this story, the king offered a new decree. If anyone were to speak against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, will be torn limb from limb and your houses will be burnt down to rubble. 
Oh, the three men were thrown into the fire. But at the very end of this story, what happened? They were promoted to leadership. Now you have three Jewish God-fearing men in leadership in a pagan land. And it sent out a signal to the Jewish exiles that the voice of God, the wisdom of God, the presence of God is in the leadership of a pagan land. Wow, our covenant sovereign God at work. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's obedience was tried, tested, and remained true. In the fire, when your obedience is tested, remain resolute in God, for God is with us. Last night before I slept, Ask the Lord, Lord, this is a word you've given your church, but I have a question. And I ask the Lord, what is fire today in our world? It's not like we're all sitting in fire right now. It's not like Singapore Christians are heavily persecuted. There's no fire, right? What is the fire? And I heard the Spirit of God says, it's the uncomfortable the uncomfortable. I'm calling my people to walk in the uncomfortable. In the uncomfortable, when your obedience is tested, remain resolute in God, for God is with us. And I began to feel uncomfortable to have to talk to us about being uncomfortable. You see, as Christians in modern-day Singapore today, we're actually very comfortable. I mean, we're in comfortable seats. It's hot outside, but we're in an aircon building. Our kids are happily in the room 331, 332. We're comfortable. There's no persecution going on here. We call the church to pray for spiritual awakening. But perhaps for some of us in our CGs, it's a bit uncomfortable. Praying for five minutes, uncomfortable. Hey, let's invite our friends for Good Friday. I'm not very comfortable about inviting my non-Christian friends to a movie. To a movie. It's uncomfortable. What is my uncomfortable? My uncomfortable is dying to my pride. That's my uncomfortable. I'm uncomfortable with surrendering my pride to God. That's why I reacted that way in the car park so many years ago. That's why sometimes when my pride is bruised, I power up. It's not that my life is in cruise control. A lot of Christians like to say that, oh, my life is in cruise control, I can't commit to God. There's no such thing, actually. When we don't surrender to God, when we don't consecrate our life, we actually want to be in control of our life. That's me. I want that control. It is hard for me to give in to God's will and let Him have control. What is your uncomfortable? 
I prayed this. I said, God, give me strength to preach that. Then I fell asleep. Then at 4 o'clock this morning, all of a sudden I had this really bad leg cramp. Now, if you had a leg cramp before, what's the first thing you say? You say, ah, oh, right, right, ah, it's painful, right? And I haven't had this for a long time. It was really painful. I can see my toes like, you know, like that kind of thing, right? And the first thought that came to my mind was this. This is so painful, so uncomfortable. I don't want to preach in the morning. And the Spirit of God immediately said, walk in the uncomfortable. It's not a coincidence. It's the Lord speaking. Do you hear His voice? Are you willing to walk in the uncomfortable? And in the uncomfortable, when your obedience is tested, remain resolute in God, for God is with us. In our response, I want to invite you to ask this question of yourself. Are you willing to walk in the uncomfortable and to obey God in that uncomfortable so that when your obedience is tested, you remain resolute in God because God is with us? What is your uncomfortable? What is that thing that you must come out of your comfort zone to grow in the Lord? Because in our lives, when we go through something uncomfortable, we grow. And that is a value of our church, growth. It's not just grace, it's growth that leads to godliness. What must you grow in? What must be uncomfortable? And are you willing to journey in the uncomfortable? I want to invite us right now to just close our eyes and bow our heads and ask the Lord that question. God, what is my uncomfortable? Perhaps for some of you, like me, your uncomfortable is surrendering your pride to God. Or perhaps you're uncomfortable with surrendering your lust before God. Or you're uncomfortable with surrendering power that you have to God. Or it could be surrendering materialism to God or your ambitions to God. What is your uncomfortable? Are you willing to walk in that uncomfortable so that when your obedience is tested, you remain resolute in God? for He is with you. In our response today, we are going to sing a song called We Fall Down. We lay our crowns at the feet of Jesus. The greatness of His mercy and love is at the feet of Jesus. And we cry out, Holy, holy is this God. We worship Him with reverent fear, reverent awe. This afternoon as we sing this song, if the Lord calls you to walk in the uncomfortable and if you're willing to do so, 
It's not easy. Sometimes it can be scary. But if you're willing, when we sing this song, I invite you to kneel before God. Kneel not because other people are kneeling. That's bowing to pressure. No, you kneel because that's what God calls you to do. He calls you to walk in the uncomfortable and to remain resolute in Him because He's with you. So if that's you, I invite you quietly just to bow before the Lord. And we sing this song together as our prayer. We bow down, we lay our crowns at the feet of Jesus. The greatness of mercy and love at the feet of Jesus. We bow down, we lay our crowns. We fall down. We lay our rounds at the feet of Jesus. The greatness of your mercy and love at the feet of Jesus. And we cry, holy, holy, holy. led to kneel before the Lord during the song I invite you to kneel before the Lord and make this your prayer as you say Lord I will walk in the uncomfortable I want to grow in the Lord I want to learn what it means to fear you I want to learn what it means to surrender before you I want to truly know what it means to worship God with all my heart, soul, and mind. As we sing, we fall down. We fall down. We lay our rounds at the feet of Jesus. The greatness of the greatness of your mercy and love at the feet of Jesus.
We're glad you had spent some time listening to God's Word. And we hope that the message has ministered to you. You can visit us at www.cefc.org.sg for more sermon titles. God bless you in your spiritual pilgrimage ahead.